Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest is most famous for having sold more than 300 million books translated into 40 languages, and he has yet another number one bestseller. His new book is called The Guardians. It tells the story of a murdered lawyer and an organization's journey to exonerate a man wrongfully convicted and imprisoned for 22 years. As we welcome in the author, John Grisham, I must add, for those who don't know, Huge sports fan, hence his appearance on our statewide sports radio show. Loves Mississippi State Athletics, that's where he got his undergrad degree. Spends a lot of time near Charlottesville, Virginia. He watched the Cavs win the World Series at the college level. Also, Tony Bennett's Cavs win the national championship in hoops, of course. I believe he has family here in North Carolina. John, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? Doing fine. Dave, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Your favorite sport to play as a child was baseball. Your favorite sport to watch as an adult is baseball. And I've read your favorite sporting event of all kinds is the College World Series. What is it about that great game with the World Series just ending this week at the pro level that uh, has drawn you in for these last uh, 60 years or so? What's well, the sport I grew up with? Uh, we were all kids playing Sandlot baseball in Mississippi, and uh, back then we listened to every Cardinal game uh, on the radio every night. KMOX out of St. Louis, Harry Carey and Jack Buck, and they had a huge uh, tower, so the games went all over the South and Midwest. And we we grew up with the Cardinals. My dad grew up with the Cardinals. My grandfather grew up with the Cardinals, and it was just you know a family tradition. And baseball was our sport. We played it nonstop. Baseball's my sport. You're one of my favorite authors, and one of my favorite sports movies is Field of Dreams. So I have to know if this is true. Do you really or did you really serve as a Little League Baseball commissioner and, cutting down cornfield style, build six baseball fields on your property? Not exactly the way Kevin Costner did in Field of Dreams, but that seems like a pretty cool part of your story that most people would not know. I am still the commissioner. Cool. I still still own the ballpark. I would love to give it to somebody else. Somebody <laughs> will take it because it costs so much money to maintain it. There's a, there's a reason I write two books a year is to fund Little League Baseball in Central Virginia. So um, uh, there's, there's seven fields. Uh, we have uh, ages 5 through 15. We have 500 kids every spring playing ball. And, and we, have, we have some of the kids uh, who play there for 11 years from the age of 5 through 15, and uh, so it's a, it's a special place. In recent years, I mentioned Brian O'Connor's baseball team at UVA won that College World Series. Tony Bennett's basketball team won that NCAA title. Were you along for both of those rides, given how much time you spend uh, there in the Charlottesville area? I was certainly in Minneapolis back in April when uh, Tony won the national title for the first time. We go to all of the UVA uh, home football games we go to all of the uva almost all of uva home basketball games and last year my wife who is a tar heel wow my daughter and my daughter married a tar heel they live in raleigh uh oh boy my my my, my daughter has since given birth to tar heels my two <laughs> grandkids so about, we all kinds of tar heels and my son went to uva so when that when those two teams play like they will tomorrow in football, uh, I pull for Mississippi State. I'd stay out of it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, we, we were there uh, for for the basketball. We've been to uh, two or three Final Fours with Carolina. It was the first Final Four for UVA. We went to that one back in April. Had a wonderful time and, and won that. And last year, my wife Renee, who was born in Raleigh, uh, somehow finagled courtside seats in the Dean Dome. So now nice. we have 
we have to we have to put our schedule down in January, February, March for the two basketball teams, UVA, UNC, all their home games, and we schedule everything around basketball. For three months, it's a lot of fun. John Grisham is joining us. His new book is called The Guardians. Most of his books classified as legal thrillers, of course. He also has included some heavy sports themes in a handful of his books, including Playing for Pizza, Bleachers, and Calico Joe. I happen to be a guy, John, who practiced law for 17 years. I grew up loving baseball. Uh, If I ever grow up, I want to be more like you. At this stage of your career, in all seriousness, I mean, it is a great honor, and I mean that word, uh, that you're joining us today. Why do you even need to promote your books? Like, I'm buying them either way, man. I'm, I'm a symbol of the loyal John Grisham leader, uh, reader. I'm so glad you're with us. But, like, at this stage of your career, do you even need to do the tours? No. It's fun. It's, it's I, enjoy, I enjoy getting out a little bit. I love going to big, uh, great independent bookstores around the country. And because uh, I love bookstores and hanging out in the stores with staff and all that, meeting some of the fans, uh, maybe meeting another local author there and uh, doing a show in the store. Uh, but it's just it's fun touring around a little bit. I know I, I finished the tour last week for Guardians. Uh, I went to like seven or eight uh, stores and stops and all that. I don't do a whole lot. I get out a little bit and you know go, go to the stores and meet some of the fans, meet, meet the folks who make it happen. One more thing about sports and then more about the new book, The Guardians. As you've traveled the country or the world, have you had a sports bucket list where, you know, you check out the Masters in golf or you go to a Super Bowl or a World Cup or an Olympics or something else? Not really. I wanted to go to Fenway and Wrigley, and I got those done a few years ago. Uh, That's probably it with baseball. I've been to the new Yankee Stadium, can't stand the Yankees. I, you know, play golf. I don't want to go watch a golf with a hundred thousand other people. Not really a bucket list. Uh, more of a travel bucket list. Places I want to go, but not not necessarily sports related. In a commencement speech at UVA, you endorsed young people dreaming big and finding their passions in their workplace. But you called planning mostly a waste of time. What what goes into that sort of advice? Well, we spend so much time planning. Uh, John Lennon famously wrote and saying, uh, life is what happens while you're making all those plans. Yeah. You can plan and plan and plan. And again, that, that's good, but we spend far too much time planning next week and next month and some things you just really can't plan. Given your success, I would imagine a lot of people would just be in awe when they meet you and assume that everything just went smoothly for John Grisham, dating way back to his days in Arkansas and Mississippi. I have read that you bounced around among a bunch of universities before you even got your undergraduate degree. You weren't sure which way you were going for a while. And then when you wrote A Time to Kill, I mean, this is one of the more important books that I believe we've seen uh, in modern America, for that matter, most publishers, I don't know the number, said no thanks, John Grisham, before you were famous. Uh, what, what do you share or what do you remember most about the more challenging times because you sure came out the other side quite nicely. Well, I was asked to leave one college, <laughs> and uh, I, I transferred so many times my parents forgot where I was. <laughs> it took a while to find some traction. I was about 20 years old before the light bulb came on. I said, okay, I can't bounce around for the rest of my life. I had to get serious and study something. I decided to become a lawyer. Uh, as far as publishing, uh, it, when, I, when I started writing A Time to Kill, that was, I had a real job. I was a lawyer. I was a member of the state legislature in Mississippi, 
you know, my wife and I were having kids, but we had a real life that was fun and successful. So I always treated the fiction as something that I, I would do part-time. So when I, when I got rejected a lot of times with a, a time to kill, I didn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't suicidal. I just said, okay, rejection's part of it. Yeah. I'll keep writing. And when, when The Time to Kill came out 30 years ago, it, uh, it was a total flop. I mean, the book didn't sell. There were 5,000 hardback copies, and we couldn't give them away. And so I, I, that, that was disappointing, but I, and I, think I told my wife, so I get this little part-time hobby and just keep suing people. That's what I'm supposed to be doing anyway. And um, the second book was The Firm, and that changed everything overnight. Uh, so there was never a period of you know, you know, depression or self-doubt. I was too busy doing other things. Life was good before the books. John Grisham joining us on the David Glenn Show. The new book, The Guardians, revisits something that you have written about a lot, the American justice system. You hear the skeptics who will say things like, nobody confesses to a crime he didn't commit, or the prosecution's specialized experts proved he did it with this blood spatter or this other expertise. What do you see when you look at these things and others in the modern-day American justice system? Because in The Guardians, uh, you're talking about the exoneration of a man who didn't do it but was imprisoned for 22 years. Well, you, have to, you have to start off with the, uh, the knowledge of the belief that there are thousands of innocent people in prison. And most people don't believe that. Uh, it's true, uh, but, you know, they don't, wrongful convictions don't affect most people, so they don't think about them, and, and so they don't believe that we have thousands of innocent people in prison. Those of us who work in, the, in this field, in this movement, we know it's true. So once we accept that, you go to work to get, how do you get them out? And it's very, very difficult. It's slow. It's a painstaking process because you're fought by the police, the prosecutors, the system, the judges, everything all the way through. And when you see the exonerations that we are able to get occasionally, uh, you realize, you know, there's so many of them now, so many exonerations. There have been 2,500 exonerations in the last 25 years. Uh, and that's, that's the, the tip of the iceberg there's, because there are so many innocent people in prison. And, and, and I tell my friends, you know, when you send an innocent guy to prison, you probably just increase the crime rate because the real killer, the real rapist is still out there doing bad things. And it, it, it's, it's something we could clean up as a system if we would make some changes in our laws that would be easy to make and, and prevent almost, almost all, not all of them, but almost all wrongful convictions can be prevented. And that's what we're working for with the Innocence Project in New York. That's why I'm on this uh, soapbox about wrongful convictions because I, I correspond with several guys who are in prison and they're innocent and I'm pen pals and we're trying to get them out. And, it's, you know, it's, it's a very... Uh, frustrating process it's very rewarding when you get somebody out but you know how, how do you tell a guy that he's been spent 30 years and it's rewarding so um uh that that's a, that's that's my call one of my calls is now I've, I've written about it several times i probably will leave it alone for a few books and go on to something else his non-fiction offering a little bit more than a decade ago was called The Innocent Man, so check out that book uh, and the associated uh, TV or movie specials with it if you want to learn more about that particular topic. Uh, at this stage of your career, or even over this evolution, do you write more to entertain with what you love to call the art of storytelling, or are you more about raising awareness about important issues or maybe even trying to make the world a better place? Uh, no doubt, it's entertainment. It's first. It's always entertainment. I write popular fiction, hopefully of a high quality, to entertain my readers and give them something to enjoy. Uh, 
that's that's my goal every time. And my goal every time is to write the best book I've ever written. I, I started a book with this in mind. I, I want to write the best book I've ever written. And so that's that's my goal. Sometimes I will include an issue like wrongful convictions and death penalty or, you know, uh, any one of a, a dozen issues I've written about and kind of weave that through a legal thriller. But then I'll, then I'll go write a book like, you know, Calico Joe, which is pure sports, yeah. pure fun, pure, that's, that that's a that's a diversion for me is to write the book that's purely inter, you know entertaining without a cause. So I do both. I go back and forth. You wrote a Time to Kill in the 1980s, and there's just a whole lot on racial justice and injustice matters in there. Here in 2019, how do you describe how much progress our country has made along those lines? That's astonishing. Uh, the progress uh, we made so much progress it's still so frustrating to realize how far we have to go. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, we've done so much. We've come so far. We've, uh, we, we've changed so many laws and attitudes and, and uh, ways of doing things, but we still have, we're still plagued with, uh, there's so much racism inherent in the system, and it will take, I'm optimistic because I look at my kids, I look at the way I grew up in the 1950s and 60s, Jim Crow South. Yeah. Um, but it was tough. We were, we were, you know, we, it was a very racist, hard, all-white society. It was going to stay that way. You know, I, I, I live that. I've experienced that as a kid. My parents believed that, or my, my family. That's just the way it was. And you look at the way how far we, I've come as a as a human being, and I've changed tremendously. I look at my own kids. Uh, they're not hung up about race or sexual orientation. It doesn't bother them. Yeah, they, they accept it. Doesn't. And I, I think we we'll get. I think we're making progress. I think we are. I hope so. I, more uh, tolerant. I certainly hope so. I, I believe that. We may be running out of time with you, but I have to squeeze this in. Uh, your books have been translated into forty languages. I'm a fairly well-educated person, and I'm not. I start running out of like fingers and toes really quickly when I start trying to name all the languages of the world. Do you have any idea the forty languages that your books have been translated into? Or do you, uh, do you start much. running out, yeah. too? <laughs> yeah, we, we, the, the, last, the last one, we actually we're up to 55. Wow. Last week, I got, I, got, I got a batch of contracts in, and we, for the first time, uh, signed a translation contract in Estonia. Wow. Uh, that was another one. A uh, thousand bucks for that one. We still don't have uh, <laughs> Arabic or uh, Swahili in Kenya, in East Africa. I want to get that one. But, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by the... Uh, by the foreign rights, I keep all of uh, uh, I keep all the foreign books on a shelf. So when they publish a book in Finland, my Finnish publisher will send me five copies. I, I have nothing to do with five copies of, of Finnish in Charlottesville, but I, I like to put them on the shelf and uh, and I look at them every day. It's, it's fascinating to, to see the books uh, published around the world. As we thank you for your time and let you go, just for the record, in case Michael, I think that's your son-in-law who may have assisted in setting up this interview, Shay would be your daughter. You got this weird combination of Tar Heels and Cavalier support, etc. You still have your uh, property in the Chapel Hill area? Like, are the Grishams that deeply rooted here so that, that uh, we might even encounter you from time to time? We're here all the time. I'm, I'm in Chapel Hill right now. Oh, cool. Uh, we, have, we have a house in Chapel Hill we bought three years ago, and uh, my wife does a lot of uh, nonprofit work at UNC. She's a big Tar Heel, so she's down here all the time. The grandkids are in Raleigh, so we're here all awesome. the time to see them. We went trick or treating last night. <laughs> we're here today. We, we're here for the UVA UNC football game tomorrow night. So we're down, and we're here for all the UNC basketball games. So we spend a lot of time at Chapel Hill.
Man, you're only 64 years old, and when I look in your rearview mirror, like there's a lot of stunning accomplishments personally and for professionally. For those who don't know, uh, John has also helped raise, I don't know if this number is totally up to date, but it was like $9 million the last I saw for Hurricane Katrina relief. What is left for you? What are these remaining priorities besides being you know, a great dad and husband and grandpa uh, and a great writer? There's nothing on the list. Uh, I don't keep those lists. Uh, you know, I thank God for every day, healthy and happy and working and, uh, and having another idea for another book, having the ability to write that, having the ability to, uh, to do whatever I want to do. And I'm very, very fortunate and very thankful for that. I don't, I don't look at the future and say, my gosh, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I would love to improve my golf game. But it's, <laughs> it's, uh, I started playing when I was 50 years old, which is insane. Right. Uh, and, and I realized right off the bat, I have no time for practice and no time for lessons. I'd rather play. So if you do that, you're going to stink forever. So I got to, you know, I want to get better, but I hate taking lessons. Are, are you I at the play. Are you at the bogey golf level? Or are you shooting like a ninety, or are you you know up there in triple digits? You, you, usually around ninety five. Yeah, that's, that's not that's, that's not horrible. That's, that's, yeah, but you know, breaking a hundred is uh, for weekend hackers is a, is a big deal. Oh yeah. Oh, trust me, I can identify with <laughs> with your lawyer background, your writer background. Not uh, all these best selling books in uh, fifty five different languages. What the Weekend Warrior Golf, I definitely can identify with. Uh, I'll tell you what, John, I have interviewed United States presidents, uh, governors, Hollywood actors and actresses. Uh, you're one of my favorite interviewees ever, so I really thank you for carving out some time here on the David Glenn Show. It's my honor to speak with you. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. Appreciate it. John Grisham.